guys, welcome to another episode of Live with the Cork in the Road. I'm Kelly. I'm your wine explorer here in Atlanta, Georgia, and I am chatting with people who are shaping the Southeast wine industry. Welcome to the A Cork in the Road podcast. I'm Kelly, and I feel so lucky that you pushed play to tune in today. Thank you so much for being here. Today's episode is taking us to a place that is very special to me personally, in my heart, in my soul, for my wine journey, and that is the great state of Virginia. I got to talk with Reggie Leonard. He's based in Charlottesville, Virginia. By day, Reggie leads the career development at the University of Virginia's School of Data Science, but Pretty much every other time of the day, Reggie is pursuing his love of wine and developing his palate. So hopefully it sparks some interest for your personal curiosity in the world of Virginia wine. And he is a recipient of the inaugural welcome cohort of Wine Unify. Through that, he was able to pursue his WSAT level one, and he also recently earned his WSAT level two. So he is going with his formal education to continue developing his connections in the wine industry. We talk a lot about how that all started with going to weekly wine tastings at a local shop in Charlottesville. Since then, he's created a wine bucket list. He's got a whole list for you at the end of the episode of Virginia Wines, very specific labels and names to seek out. And he talks about the influence of the people that he's been able to connect with in Virginia that have really made it more accessible to learn more about wine production, tasting from barrels, and learning about the growth of the grape on the vine. So you have that opportunity in Virginia. The industry is thriving with opportunities. And so at the very end of the episode, Reggie's going to send out a little bit of a bat signal to other professionals in the Virginia wine industry to assemble, to join forces, and continue to create more access for learning experiences. So thank you, Reggie, for being on the show. Cheers to Virginia wine. Cheers to Cab Franc, Petite Men Sang. We can't hide our love for Virginia wine, and it's going to come full force in this episode. Things coming up for a Cork in the Road LLC. It has been wild. I kind of feel like the ground is a treadmill, and I'm just sprinting to keep up, but it is in the direction of things that I love. And opportunities for my personal growth in wine have just been exponential the past couple weeks. So thank you so much for being a part of this journey with the podcast. And I really hope that you are inspired to continue your own tasting and your own exploration as you listen to the show each week. So thank you so much. Cheers to all of you. And I will talk to you all next week. Good to see you. Thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. It's good to see you. I think I first met you and in the virtual world met you because <laughs> uh-huh. you are a podcast listener. You've listening to yes. the show. Yes, yes. And it's been great. Like it, the interviews are always great. You create a lot of space for people to talk. And so you ask interesting and intriguing questions that are different. So yeah, I'm a fan. Oh, it's <laughs> just too much. You did not have to say that. That's great. I think another thing I loved about kind of early connecting with you through Instagram and wine community is that you may be stealing or may have already stolen the idea of community bottle shares in Charlottesville. Have you done any? <laughs> uh, no, we haven't really done, co- not not anything official. Like I'll usually, when I have some leftover wine, I have a neighbor who I'll take some wine over to um, and things like that. And I'm in a couple of tasting groups and not anything official um, community bottle sharing wise. Uh, no, not yet. Not yet. I'm, I'm yes. hearing yet is the key here. Well, you've mentioned that you have been to a few wine shops in Atlanta. So when was the last time you were in Atlanta? I know you're based in Virginia, but when were you last in Atlanta? It was this past summer, summer of 2021. And I was visiting my best friend down there and Loganville is where he lives. Um, And so he's like, I'm right outside of Atlanta. And I look at my GPS and I'm like, sir, this is a different state. I don't know where this is. Um, But I still drove into the city every day um, to make sure that I checked out different wine spots, um, usually wine shops, a couple of restaurants that had good wine lists, but generally wine shops. So you all have a wealth of, uh, of of knowledge and interesting shops and great people down there for sure. 
You saw three parks, I think it was. I did. Where else did you go? Do you remember? I went to the Purple Corkscrew as well. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of one. It was focused on Portuguese wines. Dom Beju, maybe? They focus on Portuguese wines, and they have one of my favorite importers is Ole and Obrigado, and they have a lot of Ole and Obrigado stuff and a lot of stuff from other places, too. I love Portuguese wines, and the fact that there was a whole shop dedicated to it. I mean, I nerded out uh, with the owner. Uh, she She's like, wait, you came because we have Portuguese wines? I was like, I drove 45 minutes across Atlanta from another wine shop in traffic to just see what you had. So yeah, of course, I ended up with a half a case accidentally. Oops. Oops. Oh, well, <laughs> that's dedication, though. You made the trip across Atlanta during traffic yeah. time. So that is a wine lover right there. <laughs> well, you have to come back sometime soon. If your friend lives here and you found good Definitely. wine, you're going to have to stock up. But that doesn't mean that where you are doesn't have a great wine scene. So before we dive in, I have to just start with the most current fun thing I saw. I loved the UVA Today article that you were featured <laughs> yes. in. Yes, yes. And I'm wearing my UVA hat now. So uh, yeah, it was it was a fun experience. Um, it was really prompted through a conversation that I have with some friends, um, one of whom is a faculty member at UVA who has a lab here. Um, and it's really focused on memory and kind of memory through experience and through heritage and history. And so we started talking about the rich heritage of African Americans in farming and vineyards and things like that in Virginia, um, and just kind of what the modern parallel of that is with some of us who are either wine professionals, winery owners, or budding wine professionals and wine enthusiasts like myself. Um, so we got a chance to have that conversation as a part of Black Alumni Weekend, which happens every two years. Um, so it was really cool. It was a really cool opportunity. And then um, for folks who couldn't make it, UVA Today reached out to do a, a bit of a retrospective about the event, um, just to be able to share some of the knowledge and some of the, the vibes, uh, so to speak, from the event in the form of an article. So yeah, it was cool. You were a panelist though. Didn't you do a talk? <laughs> what was the topic? I did. Yeah. So I talked a bit about my connection to Virginia wine and I served alongside uh, my buddies, Nick Jordan and Lance Lemon. So Nick owns Della Plain um, up in Della Plain, Virginia, um, which is a winery in Loudoun County, which is Northern Virginia for folks that are not familiar. And then Lance owns or co-owns a wine shop called Rich Wine RVA. Um, and so they're based in Richmond. And so they're both UVA alums. I work at UVA. Um, and so we know each other through the wine community here in Virginia, which is pretty big, but pretty connected as well in a lot of ways. And so, yeah, it was, it was great. I shared about my journey into wine, some of the work that I got a chance to do in the growing season last year um, in a vineyard in the Shenandoah Valley, some of the events that I've gotten to co-host, um, wine packs that I've gotten to curate and things like that, and just kind of encourage people in some ways that they could also deepen their knowledge of wine or uh, experience wine in more uh, interesting ways that are local to Virginia as well. It looked like such a cool event and what a great opportunity for you to be bridging the gap between wine and your interest yeah. in that and what you've experienced living in Virginia, but focusing yeah. on how you got in there and where your experiences are based. Like I love yeah. that that was even a topic that was covered and looking at Virginia as a whole. So you lead yeah. career development at the yes. University of Virginia School of Data Science, Reggie. That's yes. not wine. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not, um, <laughs> but uh, I got a chance to marry those things in a very direct way um, for an event with a faculty member, actually about right before the pandemic hit. So that fall of 2019, um, I was having some water cooler chat with uh, one of our faculty members about what I was doing that weekend. And I kind of laughed and I said, it's a Friday night. You already know I'm going to the free wine tasting um, downtown. And he's like, oh, that's right. I forgot that's your thing. He's like, I should actually tell you about an analysis I did. Um, you know, where I scraped a bunch of wine reviews from a website, like 20 something thousand reviews and kind of wanted to see like what I could find in terms of trends where he's like, you know, if you go to a grocery store and you see some wines with a label, either it has some points on it or it has some descriptive words, but then most of the wines don't have those things. Are there any words that you could look at on the back of a wine bottle that might indicate quality if you don't have that extra bit of detail um, of the little wine cards and things? And I was like, would you be willing to do this as a talk? And he's like, uh, yeah. I'm like, 
can we do a wine tasting with the talk? And he's like, yeah. And so we ended up um, doing data science meetup where he did a talk called Wine Analytics. And so, and I curated a wine tasting and worked with a wine shop to pick out wines. And I was like, I want to get wines that are for people who are okay with drinking wine, but they'll say that they can't taste the nuances. So I want to make sure that these wines are disparate from each other enough that they can at least say that this tastes different than that one so that they can know that they can experience wine in a more visceral way. And so that's what we did. And it was fun. It was a great event. So I got a chance to, to marry those things. That's the most nerdy, geeky, awesome thing I have ever heard. Yes, yes. What is going on? I'm so happy about this. That is definitely bringing your two loves together. And it happened yes. kind of organically yeah. with faculty. And isn't that cool how wine comes up in the most random conversations when it's yes. like not a wine-centric conversation, but then mm -hmm. you find out that someone's other life they lead relates to wine and then you yep. did it together. I'm so excited. Is that the only event you're going to do? Was that like a one-off? It was a one-off, but I mean, there's so many di different directions that we could take with it for sure. Um, we talked about maybe doing a part two and the folks that were there were really excited and they asked about a part two, but then um, that was in November of 2019. And so we really just haven't revisited that conversation yet during the pandemic, but I'd like to, and maybe this will be a prompt to do that. Yeah, now it's recorded. It's out there. I asked exactly. you to do a second one. Okay, perfect. Well, <laughs> good. I love Charlottesville so much. How do you describe Charlottesville to people who haven't been there? It's so hard to describe. Um, it's it's this kind of low-key hidden gem um, that kind of feels like vacation, even though I've been here for seven years still. I'm from Maryland, right outside of DC, um, Prince George's County or PG County, as we would call it. And I did not grow up getting into the outdoors or anything like that. I grew up going to concerts, going to museums, like being in the city, um, that kind of thing. And then I went to grad school in Central Virginia. And what started to make me fall in love with Central Virginia, which initially I was not, um, <laughs> was that I started noticing the sunsets. And I lived in Lynchburg. And uh, I remember one day noticing the sunset. And I was like, this is beautiful, cool. Next day, it was beautiful. The whole week, it was a beautiful week. And I'm like, hey, it was a good week. And then I realized months in that the sunsets never got old. And so that always made me want to move to Charlottesville after living in Lynchburg for a while. We would just come up, friends and I, to visit Charlottesville for the weekend for a day trip. And, you know, like I was able to make my way up to Charlottesville because of the data science then institute, now school. And it's this place that's full of vineyards, full of restaurants. Um, I mean, we just got named one of the 11 next great food cities by food and wine, um, which, uh -huh. yeah. And I'm like, we knew that, um, <laughs> but it's great that other people get to know it now. I mean, there's a restaurant downtown, which is a 10 minute walking distance from me where the GM was a former manager at 11 Madison park and left to come down to manage a restaurant here. There's so many folks like that, that come to Charlottesville at the height of their careers, like not to retire, which is wild because you would think that a small central Virginia Southern town is more of a sleepy town, but it's not at all. We have lots of tech companies that are homegrown here. We have lots of businesses that have their technology departments that are based here. We have, um, Gosh, so many things. We have the university. We have a couple of UNESCO World Heritage Sites, like two of them um, in this small little town that I think is 11 square miles. I mean, so it, it just punches above its weight class in a lot of ways. And I love it. That's a great way to put it. I've never thought <laughs> yeah. about it as a weight class, but you're right. It is out kicking <laughs> its coverage by far. Yeah, I love that area. And I did see that about the food and wine. And it's like, well, I'm glad you guys are catching on because we've been doing this for many years. I yes. used to live around Charlottesville like 2010, 2011, uh -huh. and it has just blossomed even since then, but it was already mm -hmm. happening. You have the surrounding vineyards there too. Do you have mm -hmm. time with your university career <laughs> to go and explore because Charlottesville is such a hub for what's happening in Virginia wine? It is. It is. Yeah. And I don't get to explore as much as I'd like, but I definitely do get to wineries for sure. I mean, 20 minutes 
drive is all it takes for me to get to some of the most amazing vineyards um, in this area. And so that's a classic go-to on a Saturday or Sunday. And even during the uh, during the summer and spring, like on Wednesdays, there's some vineyards that'll have wine Wednesdays and they'll be open a bit later because the sun doesn't set until later. So you can just bring your picnic chair, you could bring your own food, buy a glass of wine or a bottle of wine and share it with friends or not just throw a straw in the bottle and go to town. Um, but yeah, I definitely get around to a good amount of vineyards, um, but not as much as some of my friends. Some of my friends have been to 60, 70 vineyards in the area. And it's insane that there are even that many, um, you know, that are around. And then there's so many vineyards that are more, um, they, they don't necessarily have tasting rooms, but they're selling grapes and doing a lot of interesting things with research, um, with the Virginia Wine Research Exchange and things like that, and really just pushing the industry forward here in terms of where to head next, which is why it's such a great time to be here, both as a consumer, but as someone who's very interested in being a part of this wine community that has been here for a while, but that's expanding and growing by leaps and bounds. And you are never done exploring there. I feel like even never. when I was living there, Reggie, there was a new tasting room or a new winery every month that I was like, got yes. added to the list, got to go. So you're never yes. done. I'm glad to hear that's still happening. Was it research and studies that initially sparked your interest in wine? I know you call yourself a wine enthusiast, but it's way more yeah, than that now. It so is. Do you have, <laughs> it's, it's a hobby that got out of control. Um, yeah. What is the specific moment that helped you dive into this here like in Virginia? Yeah, I think there are a couple. There are a couple of moments. Um, but one that comes to mind is the series. Well, the, I'll share two briefly, but one is kind of a series of moments where uh, the Friday wine tasting that I alluded to a bit earlier, where I talked to the professor about it, was a regular thing that I did. I just made that a habit where regardless of what I was thinking about doing on a Friday night or how I was feeling, if I just wanted to chill on the couch and watch Netflix, I'm like, nope, I've already decided that Fridays I go to Market Street Wine Shop and I go to this free wine tasting. And it was a way for me to make sure that I got out and about and enjoyed what Charlottesville had to offer, especially in the summers when we have Fridays after five and have uh, live concerts on the downtown pedestrian walking mall and everything like that. And so I wanted to make sure I was proximate to that stuff. And this wine tasting was a good way to just kind of get me out of the house. And so I would hear the wine shop owners, uh, Sean and Thad, talking about the grapes with the distributors and the reps. And I'm like, this can't be real. Like they're using all these very flower words. And I mean, Sean and Thad have a theater background too. And so they're, they're really good with words. Like, I'm like, this kind of sounds dramatic, like maybe in a literal way. And so I don't know how real this is because all I taste is wine that like is kind of a little bit better than what I had at the grocery store, but kind of like a little bit weirder. It's like more esoteric at first. And then I started to pick up on a lot more of the nuances. I started to pick up on some of the things that they were describing about the wines, the characteristics. Um, and then I also just resonated so deeply with the stories. I mean, when they would show me pictures of someone's little boat that you had to ride in to get to a vineyard in Chile or someone's vineyard dog or something like that. And they, or they would show a horse at Antiquum Farms um, over in Oregon. And, and they'd be like, yeah, that guy was here. And like, you see how tall we are over this bar. Like he's way taller than that. And I'm like, this is so cool that you all met all of these people. And they just started to make those stories that were in the glass a lot more vibrant. And so that was intriguing. But then I did a seated tasting, my first ever one, which I never thought that I would ever do because I'm like, wine people do that stuff, which wine people are like fancy rich people. And so I don't know what this seated tasting thing is, but I mean, I've come here long enough where I trust them. So 35 bucks, like worst case scenario, I drink good wine and have some awkward conversations. That's not that bad. Like that's what happens at any bar. Um, and so I decided to go and convince a couple of friends to come as well. And it was with Ben Jordan and Maya Hood-White from Early Mountain. They're good people. You found yes. good people for your wine tasting. It was the best. And they just took so much time to answer questions and really talk through the wines. And the wines were beautiful themselves. They, we tasted through Early Mountain Wines and then also some wines from Lightwell Survey, which is a side project of Ben Jordan's as well, along with a couple of other folks. And I fell in love with those wines. And I had had wine around Virginia before, but I never really paid attention to it. It just kind of was a thing to do. It was more so about going to the vineyard and the wine was a byproduct. And it wasn't that the wine was 
bad or unremarkable. I just didn't know enough to pay attention. And this was the first time that I did. Um, and so it really changed everything. And, you know, I stayed in touch with Ben on Instagram, followed him and, 2020, I saw a post in a Facebook group that I'm in for wine lovers, for black wine lovers. And um, it was Julia Coney. And she basically encouraged people to start applying for wine scholarships because there weren't that many people applying for the plethora of opportunities. And I'm like, that's weird that we've never met, but she wrote this post directly to me. That's odd. <laughs> like She's clearly talking about me. Like looking in your crazy. soul, telling you do this. That's exactly how it felt. That's exactly how it felt. And so I applied to Wine Unify and got accepted as a recipient for the Welcome Award, which is for the WSET Level 1, um, which was amazing. Wait, wait, Thank that's you. huge. This is the, first, <laughs> this is the inaugural cohort yes. and you were yes. one of the recent Reggie congratulations it was great thank you so much and like the community's been incredible um both in wine unify and in wine in general which is what's pushed me to continue going and so when I did my WSET level one and when I was taking the the classes and jumping on the Zoom sessions and things, I posted about it. And Ben Jordan reached back out to me on Instagram and said, hey, notice that you're getting more serious about wine. Like if there's anything I can do to help, like let me know. And I'm like, this is insane. This guy's a whole winemaker. Why? And I like paid money to just drink his wine. Like why would he offer to help? Like whenever someone makes an offer like that, I just say yes, even if I don't know what I'm going to say next. Um, <laughs> and so I said yes. And uh, I told him I just wanted to learn more about wine. And he's like, great. Well, you can help us in the vineyard if you'd like. And so he invited me out to his family vineyard with his brother, Tim Jordan, who's awesome, who used to be a winemaker at Barron Ridge, probably around the time when you were here. And yeah, they, they've just been so awesome. And so I worked growing season, not all last year, but like the majority of the growing season during 2021. And so, yeah, it was, it was great. It was incredible. So experiences like that have kind of really solidified my relationship with wine even to the point where I, I kind of alluded to this idea of like me having been exposed to Virginia wine, but not really paying attention. Um, Aaron Scala is another really good friend in Charlottesville um, who is an incredible wine professional, sommelier, et cetera. And um, I went into her shop um, in Vino Veritas here right outside of Charlottesville to pick up a wine. And um, I didn't really know what I wanted. And so I had just been listening to an Instagram live with um, a guy named Mason and a guy named Jermaine Stone, um, who does wine and hip hop. And they were both talking about Riesling and hip hop. The way that they were talking about Riesling was so intriguing. They were saying like, Spate laser and else laser. And I'm like picturing lasers and Star Wars and like just crazy like imagery and stuff. And I'm like, it just sounds so crazy. And I'm like, so I went in and I was like, Aaron, I don't really dig sweet wines usually, but like the way that they were talking about them, I mean, I got to try it. And then she pulls off like a, a wine off the shelf and she shows it to me and it's an else laser and uh, it's a single vineyard, Donhoff. And she pointed it out to me and I was like, Ooh, $65 for a half bottle. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to check that out next time. Like the thing that you say when you know, you're not going to buy it, like, but you want to be polite. Um, and then Aaron was like, you need to try this. And so she just opens it, um, you know, like right on the spot. And I taste this wine and I just tilt my head down. And then I just start involuntarily shaking my head, like confused and I didn't know what was happening in my mouth. And I was like, Aaron, what is happening? I've never reacted like this to anything. And she's like, describe it. And I was like, I can't. And she was like, are you speechless? And I was like, that's the word that humans use. Yes. Um, and then I was like, it's kind of like the acid is there, but the sweetness is there. And they're going back and forth. And in wine words, it would be balanced, but it doesn't taste like it's balanced. It tastes like it's something else. And she was like, it's like a dance. I was like, that's what's happening. It's it's a dance back and forth of acid and sweetness. And I was like, I didn't know wine could do this. This is nuts. And then she's like, I think it's time for you to read In Between the Wines by Terry Thies. And I was like, Aaron, I don't know anything that you just said right now, but that felt like a Yoda moment where I had an experience and then you said, you think it's time for this thing. <laughs> and so it was just this crazy full circle Star Wars-like experience. You started so with lasers and you ended with Yoda. This all makes sense yes, to me. <laughs> exactly. I thank you for tracking. <laughs> in reading Terry Thies' book, I'm um, reading In Between the Wines, like he talked about 
palette and kind of described it as the quality of attention that you pay to something. And so it's not necessarily about being a super taster or having some superpower of like tasting these nuances, but like it doesn't matter if you can taste those nuances if you can't identify that they are nuances and the quality of attention that you pay to the experiences that you have in everyday life, in food, in smells, et cetera, really kind of equate to this concept of palate. And that really resonated deeply. And that's the experience that I felt like I had with that seated tasting with Ben and Maya Hood White, um, where I finally got a chance to pay attention. And that's what really kind of got me in on Virginia wine. Oh, you had a Yoda moment to get into Virginia wine, but also the concept of paying attention and creating this palate awareness yeah. is a really beautiful way to think about this constant exploration. I mm -hmm. had a previous guest on this season talking about fluency in wine, and I'm seeing mm. this as kind of a dual way. It's maybe how you stay active in fluency is by mm -hmm. cultivating your palate and paying yes. attention. Yeah. Yes, oh. yes, yes. And like attention, I remember speaking with one of the mentors in Wine Unify um, a, a while ago and asking him what his superpower was. And then I reflected on that for myself. And I was like, I think for me, it's paying attention. And that was before I read the Terry Thies comments about palate. And I remember thinking back to that conversation and about, I don't like, I've always just thought that this is kind of an odd compliment that like wine people give each other. But when people are like, you have a good palate and like, it's, it, it took me reading that, um, Terry Thies thought around palate and the attention paid and the fact that it's kind of a thing that you cultivate that made me be able to not see that comment as weird because I'm like, oh, that's nice that you're saying that like, I like things, um, or that I have like a taste bud that like, it's it's weird to have your taste buds validated, I guess, but it's beyond taste buds. It's more than just that. It, it is that attention. It's that um, nuance that you're able to extrapolate out of things. So yeah. Weird in every other industry except wine. Yes. If someone says that I have good taste buds, I'll take that too. But I, I get what you're saying. It's kind of a weirder way. It's a more surface level way to say it. And then when you talk yeah. about the palate, that's the understanding and the awareness. And I love that. You're yeah. always working on this. What are yeah. some of the other ways that you are building your wine knowledge right now? I believe, yeah. I remember, maybe it was on Instagram, I saw a cool picture because you've done some harvest experiences. So what yes. are you learning from harvest in the field, other types of channels that you're accessing to continue this journey in wine? Yeah, I mean, so it was really kind of growing season through the first part of harvest that I got a chance to work. And so I would not say that I worked harvest. I would say that I worked a couple of times during harvest. Um, so before there is work, a difference. Like, you just yes, clarified. <laughs> for sure. For sure. So I, I got to pick some petite man saying um, before work a couple of times and, and got to uh, also pick a little bit of Pinot Noir that went into Rosé to taste some bricks levels and things like that. And so I got to do a couple of those things, but even seeing one, tasting the unfermented juice was a really interesting lesson in the arc that wine takes throughout its life. And then also just the, the concept of pruning, um, it was introduced to me as being a philosophical thing. And I couldn't understand how cutting trees could be philosophical, but I realized that through spur pruning, like all of these different nodes that the grapes could have grown out of, but we actively chose to remove a lot of those nodes of growth to concentrate the grapes in a certain way. And that's a hypothesis. I mean, it doesn't have to go that way. It was really interesting and also daunting because I'm like, oh my gosh, like if I prune the wrong thing down to the wrong spur, then I might mess up the yield for this vine. And like, I mean, you know, you get to make wine once a year, um, you know, like with these grapes. And so I, I don't want to mess it up. And, and they were like, oh, you're good. Like, just go do it. And, and those are the types of experiences that really kind of helped me learn a ton and, and build my confidence in wine. Um, also just kind of doing a lot of tasting with folks. So I'm in a blind tasting group. The first one was, uh, it ended up being all 2016 Bordeaux. Um, that was the theme of the tasting we learned. Um, and so uh, a couple of whites, but mostly reds. Um, and I was the only one who blinded um, the Sauve Blanc, literally the only one. It was crazy. Um, and it was a really cool experience because I was like thinking about that concept of the curse of knowledge, where if you've been exposed to what something is supposed to be like, then when something kind of steps out of that, it's kind of hard to 
recontort your mind. And so for me, I'm like, I've just been tasting a bunch of natty wines and like crazy, like non-traditional wines and Sauv Blancs from Virginia and all that kind of stuff. So my, my understanding of Sauv Blanc is really vast and I do not really know typicity quite yet. <laughs> um, and so that's why I was able to blind it. And it was really interesting. And it's kind of painting the way that I want to figure out how to get to typicity without locking myself into, oh, Sauv Blanc has to be like this. And so that's one way. Um, I've also gotten to taste with a lot of winemakers, both I, I did my first barrel tasting recently, but then also I've just gotten a chance to taste a lot of really cool vintage bottles and things that are highly allocated that I would never be able to try. Like I just did a Ganon vertical, um, which was ridiculous, 2010, 2013, 14, and 15. And those were just four out of like 15 wines. <laughs> like it was crazy. Those it was ones crazy. are ridiculous. You did a They're vertical so of Gonan, Rhone yes. Valley, Superstar, one of my favorites. Oh my gosh. It was crazy. It was crazy. And got, yeah, I did my first barrel tasting, which um, was about a month ago or so. And someone down here is doing some really interesting stuff with Cab Franc, which a lot of people are. And this particular one is being aged in Slovenian oak barrels, which is really interesting because to my understanding, the only other winemaker in Virginia that's doing that is Luca over at Barbersville, which is one of the OG wine estates in Virginia. I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, And so it's really cool that this person is, is bringing that, um, you know, somewhere else to Virginia as well. And so it, it's compelling. And it was my first chance getting to taste from the barrel, which again, allowed me to have a different understanding, a more broad, um, full understanding of all the things that wine does. The way that the barrel is set up, um, we got to taste from the middle part of the barrel and the top of the barrel, and then also from the bottom. And the bottom is kind of where all the leaves were settling. And so it tasted more sludgy, like heavy, just really interesting. And he's like, you know, this is kind of why we want to stir this up to kind of bring a bit more balance into all of all of this wine. And so it was just an interesting experience to be able to do things like that. And so things like that allow me to kind of isolate different parts of the fermentation process and different flavors in wine and, and things like that. So it's been cool. And you're connecting with all these people who have similar interests, you know, between the tasting group and then having yeah. these experiences at the winery with the winemakers, with the people that are growing these grapes and having the yeah. knowledge to share with you, how can having a community like that help mm. you reach your own goals? I think having a community like that is so important because one, they just know more. Two, they're incredibly generous with their time and with their knowledge. And then also, since they've been in wine for a lot longer, I mean, a big component of wine is time. And so that includes aging wines as well. And so to see the evolution of a fully finished wine in the bottle, you know, over a, a longer period of time, like really kind of changes your understanding or my understanding, at least of what wine can do and how truly ag agricultural of a product it is. I mean, it's incredible. Um, and yeah, so I, I think that those are some ways that, uh, that having a community like that can be helpful for sure. Um, and then also making introductions and, and just kind of encouraging you in your palate, you know, to kind of keep trying new things or to validate the things that you're tasting. I mean, I remember um, speaking with Assam at a local wine bar here, maybe a, a couple of months ago, and they do large format Fridays. Um, and they essentially open up like double mags of, of two interesting bottles um, and just sell it by the glass for like 15 bucks. And so it was great because I had like a 96 Pulsard and like a 96 Pinot from the Jura. And it was really cool, like in a, in a double magnum. Um, because you could, because months. it was open, because you could. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> like, well, and, and why wouldn't it be open? Like it's, this is the time, like let's, let's live in some revelry. And so um, it was really interesting because I was trying to figure out what I tasted. And then the Psalm said, yeah, I get straight up tangerine. And at first I was like, what is she talking about? Like, this is a red wine. And then as soon as she walked away, 
I like stopped and thought about it. And I was like, that's literally all I get is tangerine. I'm like, this is what I've been trying to figure out. And so having people who are that much further in their journeys can like, it, that moment gave me permission to know that I could taste tangerine in a red wine. Um, and so I actually tasted it in a red wine again last week. Um, and someone else at the same tasting said, oh my goodness, that's exactly what I taste. And I'm like, I can't take credit for that. But, you know, to have people that can open up your, your world, your palate, your perceptions and things like that is really a huge benefit to having a community of wine professionals, especially those who are further along. That guided exploration that you're yeah. doing together, some yeah. slight nudging to yes. a different direction that yes. like you're on, but then they help you kind of funnel those thoughts and those experiences that you're having and then put mm -hmm. it to use and have it make Absolutely. sense. That's really important. Those conversations are so key around the table with people that love wine just the way that you do. And you have yeah. that all over Virginia. What do you wish that people knew about Virginia wine and what's happening there that they yeah. don't know? So many things. Um, one of the things is that we're unencumbered by tradition, which is um, something that can be taken positively or negatively. But one of the things that I'm excited about is that it means, well, the way that it's played out in Virginia is that people are being innovative. People are actually poking the box to see what grapes grow well here, to see what altitude does to these different grapes, to do different styles of wine and things like that. So I'm excited about that. I'm thinking about the quartzwood semi-carbonic to not, um, for instance, like, which is nuts. Like who does that? So specific. And I appreciate yes. that. Like, it's so good. So, I mean, examples like that, you know, are, you know, an Albarino and, and folks are growing um, Cazzatelli and producing, you know, that as well. And so things like that are things that we can experiment with. When I think about Virginia wine in maybe comparison to like a California, I think about the fact that, or even, you know, places in France and other places around the world, I think about the fact that they're, those places aren't, are not necessarily inherently good like they're 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 really good vineyard sites and terroirs um to use the t-word and things like that sure but they've been cultivated so i mean these vineyards have been cultivated the winemaking styles and processes have been discussed and collaborated on and agreed upon and aocs and aops have been documented and things like that which that stuff just takes time virginia can totally get there we're just earlier in the process. And so like, if you want to get in early to like a really dope wine region um, that's currently dope, but is only going to get better with investment, like you got to come to Virginia. I mean, we have so many harvest opportunities. If you want to do internships, we have so many wineries that have full-time jobs, part-time jobs, like, et cetera. I mean, if you want to work in the wine industry, and really want to be in a place that's doing interesting, compelling stuff and making good wine, like come to Virginia. If you want to do tourism, come to Virginia. Like if you just want to go on a trip or a vacation or something like that. Um, if you want to start a vineyard, um, come to Virginia. Like just, there's so many things that you can do in Virginia. So like come through, if you want to drink wine with me, come to Virginia. <laughs> like <laughs> this list is like, check, 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 all these things. I am getting emotional. That's so heartfelt and so thoughtful yeah. because I think I owe a lot to the Virginia wine industry for what I'm doing today because yeah. I got that spark in 2009 living in Virginia. Yeah. And so I'm yeah. just, I'm thinking about how you're saying that of the experiences that you can get now and the variety of experiences that are available. Mm -hmm. It's pretty unique and it's very exciting. Mm -hmm. And you will not just do one job. If you work at a winery in Virginia mm -hmm. right now, you're going to do a lot of the process. You're going to be part of yeah. production yeah. and sales and yeah. marketing and all these things. So yes, heck yes, go to Virginia and drink wine with you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Seriously. Like I'm, I'm bullish on it. I'm bullish on Virginia wine. I mean, I remember talking to some, some of the um, alumni from Wine Unified not too long ago, and they were uh, excited to find out that we're doing some like single varietal petite man saying that's dry. And I mean, as you well know, like that's a thing here. Like Petite Man saying is like a thing in Virginia. Oh, yeah. it's a big thing. It's a big it's thing. It's huge. And it's mm -hmm. so good. And I mean, I'm not on the winemaking side of things, but like I have this like crazy grandiose idea of like, what if we get to the product cost scale, you know, kind of situation of Petite Man saying here in Virginia and like we can have 
you know, dry and off dry and, you know, sweet and like almost ice vine style and all that kind of stuff, um, especially with climate change and things like that. Who knows? Um, but I mean, there's so many really cool, compelling grapes and wines and things like that. I actually wrote a list that I wanted to read, like of a couple of ones that I'm really excited about um, to like let people know, like just some of the diversity of what we're growing and doing. Like Bro Vineyards is doing a Nebbiolo that I'm excited about. Gabrielle Rousey is doing a Chasselas Dore Pet Nat, um, which is super flavorful. I mean, Albarino and Katsutelli from Blenheim, um, Albarino from Maggie Malik. Afton Mountains is doing a, a blend called Baco that you all should check out. Lightwell Survey is doing Cab Franc and a wine called The Hinterman, which is a co-ferment of Riesling and Petit Mansang. Um, King Family is doing a Mountain Plains Red um, and for a Kelly, uh, King Family's Skin Contact Viognier. I know you're a Viognier fan. Uh, so, tell everyone, like, Reggie. Tell, yes. tell the world. I can't yes. hide it. I can't hide so, my love. <laughs> I, I can I can tell. I can tell. And I'm, I'm here for it. So, I mean, those are some specific bottlings to look out for. And then also cider in Virginia right now. Dry cider, like Venice cider, that's kind of made in the style of wine to be drank out of wine glasses and to be paired with foods and things. I mean, the ones that I'm most bullish on right now, like are Patois and uh, Troddenvale. And if you can track down any of those, Patois just got picked up by Selection Massal, even up in New York. And so you can get some stuff through there. It's all foraged from both of these brands. Sometimes it's co-fermented with pears and apples. It's incredible. We're doing some really interesting stuff down here. And so if you, if you really want to get in early, um, this is a good place to come for sure. Didn't cider just have a category two, maybe for the second time in the Virginia Governor's Cup? They it got did. a cider award, yeah? Yes, yes, yeah. And I think it was Albemarle Cider Works. Um, yeah, they had some really good cider. And I feel like I'd be remiss to not mention Keto Ridge's Pinot Noir as well. Like that, it's it's delicious. Like in 2020, Vine Pair, I think, ranked it like number six out of their top wines around the world, um, which is wild. And it's coming out of Virginia. So like, I just, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm pushing pretty hard for Virginia wine and I'm not getting paid to say any of this. So this is just like what I, what I really feel. And, and I was just drinking Gonan, like I told you. And so like, I, I, feel like you can trust what I'm saying. Like I can drink all types of wine and I love Virginia wine. You named some of the rock stars though. So if people really do want to know what's going on right now or find out what you're discovering, I feel like you do have a trusted palette and we're going to use palette because you. <laughs> you are cultivating this. So a yeah. trusted Virginia wine palette. And I think people could reach out to you for that. Yes. But I hear in terms of like possibilities. I hear that you have a wine bucket list. <laughs> Can you just indulge me on like a few things that are on this coveted list? What do you have on your wine bucket list? That's hilarious. Like there, it's, it's pretty, wow. I was going to make an unintentional pun. I was going to say it's pretty low hanging fruit. Um, oh but, one, one like was to barrel taste. Um, and so I got to do that pretty recently. I wanted to taste from a barrel. Like another is to try August Clock Cornas. Um, and that's from Jermaine Stone. Again, one of his tasting notes from the streets, YouTube episodes, he paired August Clock Cornas with chopped cheese, um, which is essentially like a chopped up patty melt, you know, kind of served almost like a Philly cheesesteak. And I, I Googled this one and I'm like, oh, I can do this at home. And I'm like, like, $200. Like, so I added it to my bucket list. Um, and then, um, yeah, I, that, that was very generously gifted to me recently, a bottle of that. And I am still thinking of a way to appropriately thank, uh, my buddy who like shared that generous gift. Um, but I've definitely been just sharing my wine bucket list with everyone because I'm like, I don't know how any of this is going to happen. And I really don't care how it's going to happen. Like, I just know that I want it to happen. And so the more I tell people, the more they can maybe help me with it, you know? And so that's exactly what happened. Um, something else that's on my bucket list that's wild that I haven't done is I have not tasted a wine grape yet. Like I tasted the crushed juice of the Pinot Noir, but I haven't tasted an actual grape. And I understand some of the flavors and things like that are in the seeds. And I don't know what the texture of the skin is like when you crush it in your teeth versus a slip skin grape versus a table grape or whatever. So like, I really want to taste a wine grape. Um, 
So, you know, bud break is happening all over Virginia right now. So uh, for any winemakers who might be listening to this, um, I want to taste your grapes. Uh, <laughs> just one, just one grape. Just, just one, one. Just, just one. let me go pick it off. A white and a red, you'll you'll just get to select one little berry. I think that's yes. pretty reasonable. That's a reasonable bucket so. list, checkable item. Yes, yes. So those are... Those are a couple. Um, I'll, I'll keep a couple uh, a little bit closer to the vest, but uh, yeah, those those are a couple of the wine bucket lists, and there and there are also just other bottles that I want to try. I mean, if anyone wants to share a bottle of Slow Champagne with me, then I'm not going to say no to you. Might even kiss you on the forehead and just say thank you genuinely. <laughs> wine is about sharing, and you know, honestly, it it is a love language. Like you said, you had a friend that gifted that to you, but the yeah. joy goes two ways when it comes yeah. to wine. I see it all the time. If I have a really special bottle and I can share it with somebody who will love it, it's a mutual yes. moment. So yes. it's not out of question to say that yeah. you have something you would share and vice versa. So I love for that sure. that's out there as a love language for the bucket yeah. list. It's great. Yes. Well, what are some of the things that you want to do with all of this knowledge? I would be crazy yeah. not to ask you what mm -hmm. your dream role where do you mm -hmm. see yourself in the wine industry that from this point forward? That's a good question. Um, that's something that I'm still trying to, I don't want to say pin down, but just kind of explore and be open to. I will say that um, I definitely want to do some wine writing for sure. I really enjoy writing. And so I want to do that. Um, and I'm not quite sure what format. Um, I, I don't necessarily see myself like reviewing wines or anything like that, but I definitely see myself like writing about wine and even about individual wines. Um, I also see myself hosting um, tastings. Um, that's something that I've gotten to do a couple of times with some wineries and with a wine shop as well. So for me, like I don't really love attention. Um, and so I struggle with being in front of people, not necessarily because I feel uncomfortable doing it, but because I would rather other people who like that to do that kind of stuff. But that said, I do find that I get access to a lot of interesting opportunities. And I definitely want to take advantage of that to create more space for more people to come along. And so saying that to say that that's the tenor of events that I want to host. I want to host things that bring people who might not generally drink a lot of wine, but are into other types of spirits and alcohol and things like that into the wine fold. I want to change people's kind of contextual experiences with wine by introducing like more ephemeral experiences. So like pop up events essentially at like maybe a museum or an art gallery or something like that instead of at a fancy restaurant and instead of serving pate and charcuterie like I want to figure out some vegan or vegetarian types of things and everyday snacks like there's so many things that make wine seem like it has to be a really expensive really ornate experience and it makes it hard to consider it's something that you can just drink on a Wednesday evening if you are supposed to have a whole charcuterie board um, every time and know the backstory of every single wine um, internship that the winemaker did before they started making wine at this vineyard you know like when that stuff is a barrier it makes it difficult to get people to drink more wine. So like, I, I kind of want to try to remove as many barriers as possible. And honestly, I'm just going to say it. Like, I really want Virginia wine to become a destination that is a very inclusive and very diverse, like industry of professionals. And so especially looking at a lot of organizations like Wine Unify and the Roots Fund and the Verasion Project and the African American Vintners Association and Hispanics and Wine and all of these other organizations that are just really investing in like Batonage Forum and women and people of color and things like that getting into the wine industry. I'm like, I want you all to think of us first as a place to come and do a harvest, like in the exact same thought that you're thinking of Napa. And so that means that we have to build community here in Virginia. And so if you all are wine professionals listening to this in Virginia, like we got to get together, y'all. Avengers assemble. This is the call. Um, <laughs> and so that's like- signal for everybody in Virginia. <laughs> it's it. Like, like I'm trying to do it. Like Kelly, I'm not trying. It's going to happen. So like- you all heard it here first, folks, like Virginia is going to be a destination. Um, and so that's something that I really want to work on. I mean, that's that's more so my passion, the behind the scenes stuff of trying to figure out how we can 
kind of connect some of the opportunities that these organizations create um, into something that um, kind of we can get behind cohesively in this Virginia wine area to maybe figure out how to provide housing for people, housing stipends if they need to come here to do a harvest or how to have regular tasting groups and things like that. Just figuring out some more infrastructure uh, would love to figure out how we can do more education around Virginia wine as well, just so that people can know a bit of the history of what they're coming into, like just all of those sorts of things is, is what I would love to be a part of in, in some way, for sure. So inspiring, breaking down barriers. I am on your team. I'm like, <laughs> I can't wait to see you do this because I hear you. You're like, it's happening. Get on board. It's not like an if. Yes. It's more like I'm doing this. Like everyone be on board and help me make this happen. So if people yeah. want to help you or just connect yeah. with you in general, get your wine recs for Virginia. Where can they find yeah. you? What's the best way to connect with you? Probably just Instagram, um, Reggie Leonard. So R-E-G-G-I-E-L-E-O-N-A-R-D. Um, that's me. Um, so I'm, wow, that rhymed um, very unintentionally a little bit. Um, and so, uh, yeah, you can follow me there. I have a wine account that I have not fully committed to, um, like unconsciously. Um, and so, yeah, at Reggie Leonard is the easiest way. You can send me a DM. Always happy to chat. Like I love jumping on Zoom calls with folks that are interested in wine or are in wine. Um, by no means my an authority or anything like that. I just I remember hearing um, from someone in tech, um, the industry that you should, what is it, lift while you climb, um, I think it was. And it was kind of this um, contrast to getting there and then giving back. And I really appreciated that. Like, look, if I'm one step ahead of you, then like, know that like I'm gonna bring you like I'm I'm basically gonna hold the door open so that you can get one foot in the door and then when I get my other foot in the door then your foot is in the door but I'm just gonna ask that you get someone else's foot in the door behind you um and so saying all that to say like I don't want to come across as though I'm any type of authority on Virginia wine I'm definitely not the only person that's doing this work in Virginia as well or anything and that's why I just wanted to put it on record that I'm very interested in being a part of this work um because it's going to to be a community driven, like really broad effort that, you know, just has a lot of people. And there's so much in wine. There's so many stories, you know, to tell. There's so many experiences to have. And for me, like at the end of the day, like I'm a career development professional, um, but that's not really how I define myself. I'm just a human being. And I just don't think we've lived in the best version of the world yet. And I think that we're still figuring that out. And so I think that in order for a lot more people to get on board with figuring out how they want to contribute to the world, flexing the muscle of being uncomfortable and trying new things is a really helpful way to do that. And I think trying new wine and trying new food is a muscle that's much easier to flex than moving to a whole new country or city or taking a whole new job or pivoting a career or whatever. And so to me, it's also a proxy for building a better world um, is just getting people into trying new things and learning more about why things are the way they are and not just taking things at face value, but paying that high quality of attention to wine and hopefully that's something that you hone to be able to pay a bit more attention in other aspects of your life and our lives um, so that, you know, we can all live out our values more fully. I have the biggest <laughs> smile on my face. That is so <laughs> great to hear. And it's the holistic view. It's wine opening doors. You are that person that is holding that door, causing that chain reaction and yeah. the little ripple effects will be felt. So thank you for all the work and the energy that you are giving to the wine industry. And I can't <laughs> wait to see what you do next. Thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Thanks so much for hosting, Kelly. You're awesome. This is great. Cheers to you. Thanks for tuning in to the A Cork in the Road podcast, coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia, and interviewing people who are changing the wine world in the Southeast and beyond. You can find more about A Cork in the Road at, at A Cork in the Road on Instagram and make sure to check us out on www.acorkintheroad.com. See you soon, guys. Cheers.